You're listening to Catholic Chicago. Ahead, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you programs about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago. Mission Matters Live, a program focused on promoting a spirit of mission among the people of God in the Archdiocese of Chicago. I am Megan Mio, Director of the Global Mission Office in the Archdiocese of Chicago, and our engineers this morning are Mike and Brian. You're listening to WNDZ 750 AM, and this is our new day and time. You will hear Mission Matters on the second Wednesday of the month at 8 a.m. Central. We are blessed this month to have with us Father Michael McAndrew, a redemptorist priest and missionary who has been engaged in ministry with Hispanic and Latinoa communities for 32 years. Also known as Padre Migrante, Father Mike is an outspoken advocate for ministry with migrant communities. He is the author of a web blog, on PadreMigrante.org, as well as a book called Migrant Faith. Like the families and communities he accompanies, Father Mike travels and moves all over the U.S. to offer pastoral and spiritual care to people on the move. You may have heard in the news recently that migrants were sent by bus to Chicago from the Texas border region. I thought that having Father Mike with us today Perhaps we can reflect more deeply both on the faith of the migrants like these recent arrivals, and we can reflect on our own faith and what it is calling us to do in a situation like this. So thank you very much for joining us, Father Mike. Good morning. Thank you. It's a, it's a blessing to be with you. It is wonderful. Thanks so much for being willing to share your story with us. Um, so let's get started and let's just get to know you a little bit, Father Mike. Um, please tell us a little bit about yourself. What is your background? Well, I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. I'm uh, the oldest of seven children, and I grew up in, I, I, I say I grew up in the best Catholic school, the best parish, the best community. Uh, and when our cheerleaders would, would be at the football games, they'd say, we are holy name, couldn't be prouder. If you don't believe it, we'll yell a little louder. It was a very, it was the largest Catholic school in Omaha at the time. Mm-hmm. And we had uh, a lot of vocations from that parish. Hmm. There was uh, about 40 ordinations in that parish in a period of 50 years. And I was probably towards the end of that group, but uh, we had uh, um, a lot of guys went to foreign missions in Brazil and Thailand. And whenever they would come home, they would always tell their stories about being in the jungle. And I always thought that would be an adventure. And I thought that would be what I'd like to do. So I dreamed of being a missionary. I went to the minor seminary right out of grade school. And uh, I, I went and uh, uh, I found out I had a problem, though. I struggled with Latin. I flunked Spanish. So when my two classmates went to Brazil. I went to Wichita, Kansas. <laughs> and I wasn't probably expected to work in Hispanic ministry in, in any way. But uh, uh, after 10 years in 
parishes and seven years as vocation director. I went to Denver, Colorado, to a parish where we were in a barrio in the central center city of Denver. And we opened a house to work with inner city street kids. And we basically said, there's beans on the stove, tortillas in the refrigerator, our house is your house. And the kids came in and, and they came. And we said that there was for every 10 phone calls, nine were in Spanish and the other was a wrong number. So I learned Spanish and very quickly I was in, engaged in Latino ministry and Latino culture. What I learned from the, from the ministry as I came in was I had to learn the customs, the, the, the pains, the struggles, the reasons why these men came up from Mexico or other, other countries to come to America. I had to know their family, family structures. Mm -hmm. No, I knew their, I had to know their, their, their fiestas, what they celebrated. Okay. Uh, sometimes we had our house was, um, had sort of a bad reputation. We were, we were often called Casa de las Fiestas because we were, we had too many, too many parties at the house. <laughs> It was uh, a welcoming yeah. center for, for young people, and it worked. Mm -hmm. um, I did that for five years. The other priest was with me, ended up going to Brazil, and mm -hmm. at that point in time, we knew we couldn't continue the ministry. Um, I then started a bilingual mission team where I went to rural communities in Colorado, Nebraska, Kansas. Mm -hmm. I preached parish missions in the rural areas all across this country wow. and went to liberal Kansas after that to start Dodge City Diocese. Uh, Hispanic ministry. Mm -hmm. We spent there six years there. I went to Fresno. I, I worked with farm workers, migrant farm workers in the fields. And uh, I, I became the director for multicultural and campesino ministry. Mm -hmm. And from there, I ended up in Omaha for a short time, uh, starting Hispanic ministry in my home parish mm -hmm. and back to Mississippi after that. And now I'm sort of on, uh, I've been, I, Recently, I was sent to Mexico to study the conditions on the border, on the on the Mexican side of the border for foreign nationals in Mexico. Mm. That's my background. And how many years have you been in active ministry? Fifty years. Fifty years in the priest. Really? Wow. Because I remembered you saying that you'd had thirty plus years in Hispanic ministry, but this is really ministry, all kinds of ministry that you've been engaged in. Right. Fifty years. Right. Well, and I, I mean, I said in the introduction that you you are on the move like the people that you minister with. Uh, it certainly sounds like you've been all over the country and in parts of Mexico, too, um, really trying to be present where the people are, where those folks who are on the margins, would you say, people who are not often the focus of our ministries. Is that right? I, I'm, I'm grateful for what Pope Francis said in The Joy of the Gospel when he said that the, in paragraph 200, he said that uh, one of the saddest things is the lack of pastoral care given to the poor. That's the problems we're having. Yeah, yeah. So you're talking about ministering with the poor. Um, and now you said that a lot of your uh, classmates and others that you've ministered with would go on, on mission in other parts of the world, in Brazil and, and other areas outside mm -hmm. the U.S., um, but obviously, there's missionary work to be done here in the U.S. as well. Um, but, you know, maybe it would be good for our listeners to learn a little bit more about the Redemptorists, um, also known as the Congregation of the Most Holy Redeemer. Um, and for Thank our Chicago-based folks. Thank we'll... you for bringing me back to that point. Say again? Thank you for bringing us back to that point. Yeah. Uh, I'm a Redemptorist. Yeah. And uh, yeah. My, my community was founded to work with, uh, we said, for the most abandoned 
but uh, migrants and immigrants are among the most abandoned. When we, when we began, Alphonsus found the abandoned among the rural poor in Italy. Yeah. We came to America, we worked with immigrants. We've come to uh, this time this time in our, our, our journey, and we're working a lot with uh, uh, Hispanic immigrants and with uh, multicultural immigrants from around the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, immigrants from uh, outside the U.S. Yeah, coming in. Well, I wanted to mention to our Chicago folks that um, we do have uh, Redemptress here in the Chicago area. They are staffing St. Michael's Parish in Old Town and the Denver province is actually based here in Chicago, which I know there's a long story about why that, why it's called the Denver province, but it's here in Chicago. But, um, but you know, just to let folks know that redemptorists are, yeah, um, are missionaries primarily and, and are uh, sent to the most, quote unquote, the most abandoned, but yeah, what, what that might be in any particular context could be quite different. Um, so yeah, so what, what, what would you say is unique about being a redemptorist and what what you know how does that inform how you serve as a missionary who who are the types of people who you've been on mission with well i've been on mission with some very good confreres who've helped me with uh uh and i've I've been amazed at how many times they've let me uh uh, experiment because i've uh i've done it with lay missionaries too and a lot of our guys haven't had that that blessing of working with the laity but i've worked with uh Two to four lay ministers who traveled with me for six years. We traveled around the Midwest in a, in a minivan, and it worked out. It was, I don't know how you could do it today in today's situation of the world, but, um, but it was it, at, a, at the time, it was a good, a good, a good program. And we, we would do one week in English, one week in Spanish. Um, I, I've been given an opportunity to, to do a lot of experimentation, mm-hmm. and it's kept me alive, it's kept me young. That's one one of the things that I, I enjoy doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, thank you for mentioning that you work with lay folks too. I think it's really important for people to understand it takes all vocations. Uh, ministry and mission work is for all of us. It's not only for the ordained or for the vowed religious um, and or the combination of the two. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I think that we, we need partners in this. And, you know, that's honestly why the language personally I use when it comes to ministry and mission is that we are on, on mission and doing ministry with a community because you need the, the local community leaders to be part of it. It's not something that I do do to somebody else as a minister, that we are always working together and, and collaboration. And, and, and like you say, finding new ideas and new approaches, uh, the community needs to be a big part of that. I wanted to just also uh, comment on your mentioning language and language skills being a really important part of uh, how you wound up ministering in the U.S. and then ultimately Spanish wound up becoming a part of it anyway. You mentioned something to me about learning the Spanish language and ministry with Hispanic communities. Could you say a little bit more about that? Well, I had to, I, I had to learn the, the language of the people that are here. Uh, the, it was I had to learn Mexican Spanish uh, because that's who I was working with. Yeah. And I had to understand that uh, when you work with people from around the world, it's not always the, exactly the same. It was it was a matter of also learning about their their culture and their their story. Mm-hmm. Um, when when I'm working with folks from uh, Central America, uh, I'm working with people who have who've, who've experienced a lot of a lot of maybe difficult crises that have, have moved them to come here to the United States. Wars and and uh, and real violence. Yeah. Where when I'm working with a lot of the Mexicans that I've worked with, it's more the 
local gangs and the and the, and some violence, but oftentimes it's uh, family unification, wanting to be with their family, uh, reuniting with people that they've that have come up to the, the states or before. Okay. So it's it's a different world, and I mean when I say language, it's uh, uh, I don't want to be the the Catalan uh, you know snob. I want to be the one who, who understands that our language is going to be different from one culture to another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's got to be very. We got to talk with the people we're talking with in a way that uh, honors them. Yeah, no. And I, they laugh at us when we screw it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to have a sense of humor about it for sure. Yeah. I know with with the many missionaries that I've spoken with, language has come up many times. Um, I think mm -hmm. learning a, a new language, learning the language of a new community that you've entered into is a sign of respect, is a, an effort to reach out and to understand people a little better. But I also would say, like you've you've just stated, it's more than just learning the language. It is about really listening to people's stories and getting to know them at a deeper level. Um, because I think that's how the ministries develop out as well, right? As you find out that a community has had these traumas, then you say, okay, maybe there is a need here that we've identified, um, having listened a little bit more carefully um, to what the folks have to say. So wonderful. And I think we're going to learn more about some of those experiences that you've had uh, a little bit later in our program. You can tell us a few stories about folks that we've met. But it's time for our first break. Um, but be, we'll be right back to hear more about migrant faith and mission. Stay tuned. Catholic Charities Refugee Resettlement Program has been especially busy this year, assisting individuals and families who have fled dangerous situations in their homeland, including Afghanistan and the Ukraine. The Refugee Resettlement Team helps with everything they need to start to rebuild their lives in a new country, including housing, employment, clothing, food, English classes, and referrals for legal and immigration services. The refugees are tremendously grateful for the compassion and practical help they're receiving, and they're giving back and helping each other plan for a brighter, safer future. Volunteer opportunities are currently available for those who would like to be family mentors and tutors so children and adults can practice English. To learn more about these rewarding opportunities, call 312-655-7096. That's 312-655-7096. This is year 44 for me teaching. When I started here, there were teachers here that had taught me when I was a student. Now I'm the old person. <laughs> right now, I teach junior high math. I love when kids find what I'm teaching to be fun and they get it. I see that light bulb go off. 
and it's a thrill. People are always amazed, what, what? You're here for 44 years? It's hard for me to believe, frankly. <laughs> I love what I do. Every summer I think, oh, I miss the classroom. Even on the weekends, I think I can't wait to get back on Monday and teach those quadratic equations. <laughs> Shape the next generation of leaders. Teach. Apply today at artchicago.org slash schooljobs. Do you have an old bicycle that's not being used? Consider donating it to Catholic Charities Veterans Bike Project of Lake County. Skilled volunteers are refurbishing bicycles to make them safe and ready to be used by veterans to get to and from their new places of work. We also gratefully accept financial contributions that are used to purchase bike helmets and other safety accessories. Our veterans have faithfully served the United States and now it is our privilege to serve them. For more information on the Veterans Bike Project of Lake County, call 847-782-4219. That's 847-782-4219. Welcome back to Mission Matters Live. I am Megan Mio, Director of the Global Mission Office in the Archdiocese of Chicago, and I'm here with Father Michael McAndrew, a redemptorist priest and missionary with communities of migrants, particularly Hispanic communities. Uh, and Father Mike, before the break, we were learning a little bit from you about your journey to becoming a missionary priest and particularly ministering with Hispanic communities in all different areas around the U.S. Um, and how that wasn't an immediate um, plan, but it's the way things kind of worked out. And I think it sounds like your journey has been, um, uh, there have been some surprises in there and some things that uh, kind of worked out not the way that you thought that they would. So I wondered if you could talk to us this in this segment a little bit about over these past years of ministry, um, how have you met Christ in the migrant and in people that you have met? How has this challenged and uh, deepened your own personal faith to do this kind of ministry? I think I've gained a, a much greater respect for uh, the traditions of our church um, and the traditions that are important uh, especially around the sacraments. When when Pope Francis said in, two, in the paragraph 200 of uh, the joy of the gospel, the poor are oftentimes denied the sacraments of, of, the, of the Eucharist, confirmation, sacraments of the church. I became uh, uh, very aware of that when I was, uh, when I was doing the, the parish missions and preaching that, that mission team. Uh, one summer, one, one, one year I went to the Dallas, Oregon in, in November Mm-hmm. And the growers of the the cherry growers in that region asked me to uh, come back in the summertime when the workers would come in for the the harvest, and they were they were coming in for uh, from California and, and Mexico to do the cherry harvest. About six thousand people would come into that that community for that harvest. Mm-hmm. It was a very intense, very labor intense uh, crop, mm-hmm. and it was a short term, about four to six weeks, mm-hmm. and so. I came out with uh, a couple of lay ministers with me, and we, we said masses in the camps for a couple of years. 
And two years, we said mass in camps each, in different camps all over the area. And the second year I was there, I asked the people, I said, what is it that you need from us that, that, I, that I, I can't give you, you know, uh, that you're not getting from the church? And, the, and one of the women, one woman said to me, we don't need you to be our social worker, our doctor, our lawyer. We need to be our priest. We have children who've never received the grace of sacraments of Eucharist and confirmation. And they're now 12, 14, 15 years old. And so I worked it out with the Bishop of Bend, Oregon, and with the priest there. Mm-hmm. And we decided to set up a team where we would have a, some seminarians come with me. We would run a two-week summer school for kids to get ready for First Communion. And we did it. And the uh, um, the, the, the children came to the sacraments. Um, we got uh, people engaged in it. The We had about seven, about 70 the second year. And the second year I went and I took my, my mission team down to see the bishop. And he said, what do you think if the bishop comes and does the, the communion mass? And I said, that'd be great. People would love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people did. But uh, what was neat about it was uh, he said, how old are the kids? And I said, well, half of them are 14 and older. Mm-hmm. So they ought to get confirmation. Mm-hmm. I said, Bishop, we only have two weeks to serve them. Uh, how can we get it done in two weeks? And he says, you only have the time that God gives you. You teach them and I'll confirm them. Mm-hmm. And Bishop Basha uh, came to work with me with these migrant children. Yeah. And for a period of, of the next 11 years, we had uh, uh, a lot of kids receiving first communion confirmation. Uh, we had about six marriages, 150 baptisms. It was... Uh, it was quite a, an ex- extraordinary experience. What I, I am aware of is that we do a lot of social work for the poor. We do a lot of med- medical attention. Right now, with, with the crisis, that's literally what crisis ministry involves, um, caring for getting shelter, food, yeah. lodging, keeping people alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's also the need of uh, giving people a sense of uh, what their, their strengths and their awareness are. And... Uh, what I found in that in that 11-year period out there in the, in the Dallas, Oregon, was uh, the gratitude of so many people reminding them of the, of the story of their faith. Mm-hmm. And I think that our faith has a lot to do with uh, we need to provide a, a, a complete picture of what we need to do for people. We do well with, we, we want to do well with the, when I, when I was on the border in, in recent times studying the border, you're overwhelmed by the the tragedy of the moment, but there's also a need for bringing people into the life of the church and the life of their faith and encouraging them to say, you know, it's worthwhile what you're doing. Mm -hmm. That's the key thing. Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, in a way it's very humbling to hear how families that you've met were so desiring of sharing their faith with their children. um, When oftentimes I think here in, in our diocese, we think about, well, we we wish we could get families to come and bring their kids to religious ed, you know. And then here, these are families who who would be willing to do whatever it took um, to to get their to pass mm-hmm. their faith on to their kids to have their children experience and receive sacraments, um, and um, it, a beautiful gift that you and and the bishop were able to make that happen, even in kind of a short period of time, just given the realities of that that way of life um, for people who are migrants. Um, but I think it's it's sort of humbling in a way to think like, well, I take it for granted sometimes that I have easy access to the Eucharist. I have easy access to confession, things like that. Uh, other folks might not have and wish that they did. 
um, something that, uh, I don't know, just kind of opens your eyes a little bit. I would also just ask if you could say a little bit about um, what, you know, sometimes I think we, we forget, but what does our faith, what does our church teach us about caring for migrants? You, you mentioned, of course, um, ministry and pastoral care, uh, accompanying, being part of a community with those who are migrants. But what more does our faith teach us about the migrant? Well, I think that the migrant uh, is a person who we have to uh, um, understand. They're, they're like our neighbors. I mean, they're, they're, they're not, I think that one of the things that uh, uh, when you hear some of their stories, you start to understand that uh, they're not coming coming here just to find a job or, or that. You know, it, it, I, I talked to a priest down in Mexico many years ago. And he said, migrants do not leave their country of origin for, for hunger. Uh, there's food here. But the problem is they leave because of desperation. They can't see a way to find a, a, a regular order of life for their family, their children. They can't see a, a way through to the education of children, to seeing them have an opportunity. And it's desperation that mm -hmm. motivates a person to, to leave their country of origin to come to this country. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I think it's, it's easy to recognize right now is we're not seeing a, a tremendous amount of Mexican migration to the United States today. A lot of it's coming from Central America and South America. Yeah. Right. The Mexican migration that's coming here today is, is coming from some parts of Mexico that have terrible problems with, with gang violence and that type of thing. But uh, the, the Mexican immigration to America today is basically family unification and seeking to reunite families uh, who have been separated because of... Uh, um, policies, but the uh, the crowd that's coming from Latin America, from Central America, from South America, it is a whole different world. Mm -hmm. And I know that uh, Americans don't aren't quite aware of how uh, how different it is to to come from a place because of poverty and hope and desperation from from poverty. Or coming from a country of des desperate because of war, political uh, persecution, violence, right. gangs—that's a different different element. And I think we're we're going to have a real different experience with the modern migrant. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I would I would uh, use the terminology "the signs of the times" uh, to refer to that. This is a, a reality that we're only just beginning to understand. Um, because I think for a long time, a discussion of migration was about um, folks from Mexico. And you're right, things are changing. This isn't uh, the same story that we've been telling for the last uh, some years. Um, and I think that uh, your comment earlier about poverty is a big piece of it. Uh, the Bible has plenty to say about how we are to treat the poor. Uh, and the Bible has plenty to say about how we treat the stranger. Um, and I think a big piece of that is a sense of community that folks, when they arrive, are uh, treated as brothers and sisters, as members of our communities, and people who are people of faith, like us, um, that may be a big, big uh, way that our faith can inform how we respond. And I know we're going to hear more from you with some very practical steps about how we can respond to uh, a migrant that may come into our midst. But it's actually time for our next break. Um, so we'll be back to continue our discussion with Redemptorist missionary priest, Father Michael McAndrew, El Padre Migrante. 
Don't go away. We'll be right back. are hiring. Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Chicago is looking for mission-driven individuals who want to help make a positive difference in the lives of people in need throughout Cook and Lake Counties. Be part of a diverse, talented team of professionals in the largest human services organization in the Midwest. We are dedicated to helping people chart a more stable, happier future for themselves, and we accompany anyone in need, regardless of faith, gender, race, or ethnicity. Competitive salaries and generous benefits add to the satisfaction you'll have every day knowing that you're helping us amplify our impact in Chicago. To see our list of employment opportunities, visit catholiccharities.net. There is no doubt this life is short. It is in you I trust to spread your truths, your goodness, and love. It is you who will give a leader to our church. Who will fill these shoes? Did you know that Catholic Charities accepts car donations? If you're ready to free up space in your garage and put a stop to all those expenses that go along with owning a car, we will gratefully accept your donation, whether the car is running or not. You choose a pickup time that is convenient for you and we will make the donation as easy as possible free of charge. You'll receive a charitable donation receipt as well. We accept all types of vehicles nationwide and you will know that your donation is made to Catholic Charities, an agency you can trust. To learn more about donating your car, call 877-786-4483. That's 877-786-4483. Thank you. The Cemetery Ministry is a core ministry of our Catholic faith tied to the corporal works of mercy. It's comforting to know that our Catholic cemeteries are caring for the remains of our loved ones awaiting the resurrection. There are 44 Archdiocese of Chicago Catholic cemeteries willing to help you in your time of loss. Call 708-449-6100 or visit catholiccemeterychicago.org. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837. You're listening to Catholic Chicago. Ahead, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you programs about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago. 
Welcome back to Mission Matters Live. I am Megan Mio, Director of the Global Mission Office in the Archdiocese of Chicago. You're listening to WNDZ 750 AM. And I have here with me Father Michael McAndrew. He has been in ministry with Hispanic and Latino communities, especially those who are migrants, for about 50 years now, a redemptorist priest. And uh, so far in the program, we've been hearing a little bit about uh, Father Mike's experience uh, working with different communities who are have quite a story to tell um, and all those relationships, individuals and families that he's come across. Um, so I wanted to ask in this segment of our show, um, you mentioned at the end of the last uh, segment um, that we're seeing more people with traumatic experiences, reasons why they left their home being dire, um, really desperate decisions to migrate. Um, and uh, that's something I think our, our audience needs to hear about. So I wondered if you could share with us some stories, sacred stories, of people's uh, lives and how they have coped, how their faith has helped them, um, and what they've been able to share with you. So please, Father Mike. This is a good question because uh, I have to say that I believe it's a lot, quite a bit different today than it was when I first started working in Hispanic ministry. Yeah. 30 years ago, I would talk with people who were coming from Mexico uh, or from Latin America, and most of the time the people would say, well, I'm coming here to find a job. I'm coming here to send money back to help my family. Yeah. I'm coming here to uh, reunite with my brothers and sisters who had already come here earlier they got amnesty. They're coming with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, some said they just were coming for the adventure. Our youth house, that's the type of community we were we were working with in Denver mm-hmm. when I was there. So I, I became very accustomed, uh, comfortable with that group of people. Mm-hmm. But uh, in recent years, it's been a an, an awareness of the, that the border has changed a lot because of the arming of the border and the militarization of it and uh, the, the difficulties of it. I was in, uh, I, I, went, I took a sabbatical back in 2007, and I went down to Mexico uh, and, and at that time, and there, were, there was a, a town that I was in, in Michoacan, and there were about 20, 25 men who were going to the border the next day. Hmm. Uh, they, they all were going, about seven of them had, or legal, had, had legal entries, so they, would, they were citizens or uh, uh, they, they've gotten green cards, so they would they would go up to the border with their friends, and they would go in legally. And about 18 of them were going up there for uh, about half of them for the first time, and half of them third, fourth, fifth, sixth time going up to the border. This was 2007. It was not as militarized as it is today, but it but it was uh, it was a much much more dangerous. And I, I remember talking to them about how it was how it was crossing the border. And they said it was becoming more and more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, was at a time when there was the militarization with the, the what they call them, the um, the Minutemen were, were armed, armed on the border mm-hmm. and in Arizona. And one of the things that uh, I remember one of the guys said, he says, we're, we hope we don't see anybody with guns, but if we see somebody with a gun, we hope it's the migra, the immigration, because... Border. The, the gun, people with guns were the were the robbers, the th- the thugs on Mexican side, or the mil- Minutemen who just didn't have much control. Mm-hmm. And 
um, they said if they, if they meet a guy with a gun, they want it to be a, a, an immigration agent because mm-hmm. they have rules. Yeah. Um, it was interesting seeing that. That was 2007. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's gotten worse. And there's a, a lot of problems with uh, when, when uh, six months, seven months ago, my superior asked me, he says, would you go to Mexico for six months to study the northern parts of Mexico on the border? What is the reality on of the foreign nationals coming into Mexico, residing there, or going onto the border to try to try to seek entry in the United States? Mm-hmm. And myself and another redemptorist and a brother, three of us, uh, went and visited sites between uh, San Luis Potosí. Pardon me. That's this picture that's there is from San Luis Potosí, a, a rail train mm-hmm. for the, the the migrants or migrants under those trees. They're trying to jump the freight to go north. Um, the uh, from from Matamoros to Tijuana, Tijuana, we visited all we visited sites along the border, 32 shelters and service centers uh, on the Mexican side. Mm-hmm. I was impressed with the uh, the amount of care given by the people who were the caregivers giving food, shelter, medical attention, social work, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, legal help. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was missing was the a care for the spiritual, but I don't know how it would, how it would really be done at this time because they're, they're in crisis. Yeah. It, the crisis is, I don't know how it would be done there. But what I saw among the people was uh, um, we, we had an opportunity at times to visit with the migrants in the camps. When we visited with them, I noticed the difference between when I asked the question, what motivated you to leave your country of origin? It's a little better than saying, why did you leave your country of origin? Not so harsh. But what motivated you to leave your country of origin? And many people would start by saying, well, Father, you know, you understand that violence is going on in our country. Uh, One man, one young man, 14 years old, said, after they murdered my father and my brother, I knew I had to leave. He was 12 years old when his father was murdered by by gang members in his his town. Mm -hmm. Two years later, his brother was murdered, and at age 14, there was no hope for him to stay in his home country. And he came, he came to seek, seek uh, asylum. Mm-hmm. There was a couple that, that came and they, these were a very, um, a, a craftsman, a, a, a carpenter, but obviously a very gifted craftsman. He, know, he knows what he's doing about construction. And he had a, a wife and three children. And he said, uh, the, the, the drug, the gangs were, were, were giving him letters saying, if, if you don't pay us so much money, well, you, your daughter will be raped. It'll be your fault if your daughter gets raped. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he turned it over to the police. The police uh, got a, came in and tried to help him. The, uh, soon he got a note back from, the, from the, the gang people saying, you've turned it over to the police. Now it's going to cost you more. And uh, the police recommended him to geographically moved. So he moved about 80 miles from where he lived to another part of his country to take up business in another part of the country. And uh, his 12-year-old daughter, his 14-year-old son, his his six-year-old daughter, and they were, and and his wife, they were there for about seven or eight months when the letters started coming back again. We found you. Uh, You can't get away from us. Mm. Well, that's the trauma that's going on in some people's lives. There are people who are, are suffering from persecution, 
there is violence going on in Latin America right now in Nicaragua that is, that is against the clergy. Uh, there's been a bishop murdered and six or eight priests have been murdered in the last six months. Mm. Uh, there's uh, a number of, uh, there's violence going on in these countries that are, that are causing total disruption of the people. Right. The, the collapse of the economy of Venezuela is disastrous with, with many people go, go, having no, no food and they're just trying to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. And uh, people are coming to the border and many of the Venezuelans who come, you know, the, the people who are coming up now to the border that I met in these camps, many of them are middle class. Many of them are educated. Yeah. Many of them had good jobs in their in their cities. They were they were bank they were they were bank tellers, they were nurses, they were teachers, mm-hmm. they were uh professional people. Mm-hmm. There was an engineer from one one community that came and the threats to his family, he couldn't stay. And so I think we're, we're having a very different type of uh, migration right now. It's different from what it was 30 years ago when I when I saw people who were coming up from farms and from uh, desperation of, of poverty. They're coming up now because of fear. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the amount of fear is, I mean, probably, you know, anecdotally, probably about 70 or 80 percent of the people are coming because of some form of fear. Mm-hmm. The other thing that struck me was how long they've been on the road. There's many people who've been on the road for two to four to six, eight months, some people up to up to, up to two, eight years. I mean, when you hear people say, I left my country of origin eight years ago, and you go like, what have you been doing for, how, how do you survive yeah. um, with any sense of identity yeah. when you are, uh, are homeless for, for eight years? And that's really what's going on in some of these folks. We need to understand that uh, the crisis now the crisis at the border that I'm talking about, it's not an American only problem. Mm-hmm. Pope Benedict wrote in the joy in the Caritatis and Veritate that the mass migration of the world today is the greatest challenge the world will face, mm-hmm. and it needs international cooperation um, at a at a level that we've never seen before, or we, it will just get worse. And honestly, he was right. And I wish that we would uh, recognize that our political leaders around the world are just not not measuring up to the great challenge of what migration is about. Yeah, yeah, there's there's many aspects to this. I mean, I was thinking while you were sharing about the idea that you know, our, our traditional image of missionary activity, at least within the church structure, is to send somebody. So from the U.S., I'm going to go out, I'm going to go to Nicaragua, and I'm going to be a missionary with a community that lives there. Um, and um, while that there may be a place for that, obviously there are needs in other parts of the world, um, there's also this reality of people moving. And this is just really a, a what's happening in the world for many reasons, um, some of them obviously very serious, as, as you've described here today, and, and some folks on the move for quite some time of their lives. Um, in a way, we can think about this as this is where the missions, people who we have thought about, we have to go out to them, they're coming to us. And, uh, and, and they are now part of our community. These are our neighbors uh, and brothers and sisters who we now can see <laughs> right outside our front door sometimes. So... Um, this is a, a question about how do we how do we recognize our neighbor, um, and I think we will talk about that in our last segment. It's time for our last break. 
Um, but we will continue our discussion about migrant faith with Father Mike McAndrew in just a moment. Come right back. Catholic Charities, we want to remind you that we are here for anyone who is a victim of domestic violence or anyone who has a concern about someone they think may be a victim. Domestic violence affects millions of people each year, both women and men, of every race, religion, culture, and economic status. It includes physical, psychological, and emotional abuse inflicted in both subtle and overt ways. The impact on children can be devastating. If you or someone you know are victims of domestic violence and you are looking for a place for healing and recovery, call us at 773-935-3434 in Cook County and 224-430-4977 in Lake County. A safer, happier tomorrow can begin today. Welcome back. Es fabuloso verlos. Dobrze jest znowu być razem. It's good to be together again. After so many months apart, pandemic capacity limits have been lifted, and we want to welcome everyone back to church. We can all pray together again. And listen as our choirs lift their voices in song. We've been together in spirit. And now when you are ready, our doors are open wide. Nuestras puertas están abiertas de par en par. Nasze drzwi są otwarte. And we're here to welcome you back to Catholic Mass. Catholic Charities has had the privilege of helping people in need in Cook and Lake County for more than 100 years. We would like to take this opportunity to thank our frontline workers who, despite the unprecedented challenges of the past two years, continue to excel at their jobs every day. From the warehouse staff members who pack boxes of nutritious foods for low-income seniors, to the dedicated WIC employees who have remained open for families with children under the age of five, to our volunteers and restaurant partners who ensure that meals are available for those experiencing hunger. To our service coordinators and our professional counselors who continue their vital work in innovative ways. To our food pantry staff and to all those who work at Catholic Charities Call Center, finding solutions for every person who reaches out to us for help. Charity is at the heart of all you do and we salute you.
Welcome back to Mission Matters Live. I am Megan Mio, Director of the Global Mission Office, and I'm talking with Father Michael McAndrew, a Redemptorist missionary priest who has been engaged in Hispanic ministry with migrants in the U.S. for many, many years now. And we've been talking with Father Mike um, about your experience, uh, the, the different types of ministries you've been engaged in, um, what our faith has to say, what you've learned uh, about your, your own faith from this ministry. And then in this last segment, you were sharing with us some real specific stories of recent um, individuals and families that you've met and the kinds of real serious uh, trauma and um, fear and violence that uh, migrants have experienced and are fleeing from coming into the United States. And so um, in this last segment, I wanted us to talk a little bit more practically about now that we know a little bit more, what can we do next? Um, And we mentioned that you have a blog that you um, write for on a website, padremigrante.org. P-A-D-R-E-M-I-G-R-A-N-T-E dot O-R-G. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, it happened that uh, uh, 15 years ago, or no, about 10 years ago, I was leaving Fresno, and uh, Fresno Diocese, I worked with a, a group, a committee we call the Outreach Extraordinary Ministry Council. And uh, they said, we you need to write a book about your your journey with migrants. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, I can't write a book in four months. Mm-hmm. But uh, they said, uh, please uh, write what you, because the priest won't, won't believe what you've told us. So mm-hmm. I told them that uh, uh, I wrote the book. And as, as it grew, it, it became really a, a, really my love story of uh, with the migrant, migrant faith and how the faith of migrants touched us. Mm-hmm. When it was finished, the translator, when I for the La Fe del Migrante part, the in Spanish, he said, "Padre, after this, you'll be you'll be called Padre Migrante." And so uh, when COVID hit, I took the title Padre Migrante for my Facebook page, for my website, and uh, nobody's called me that, but uh, I have really walked with migrants for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. On the website, there's a blog, a daily blog almost daily. I don't do it every day, but just about. And then there's a, there's a, a, a resource a ribbon on the top. And the resource part of it says that uh, we'll, um, at the bottom of the resource page is the book printed in on the, on, on the website. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's a button down there where you can read it in English or in Spanish. You go right to the bottom. Mm-hmm. You got it. <laughs> and uh, when you go on it, uh, the reason why I put it on, on the website was because it's going out of print. Mm-hmm. And it really needs to be rewritten, not not just uh, reprinted, mm-hmm. but uh, so people can read it in English or in Spanish from the website. Um, it's there; the whole book is there. Okay, so it started with the I've book. worked with Mike, yeah, and now the the website is kind of a growth out of it. So the website started during the pandemic. Sorry. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. it was my way of, of trying to get some work to do while I was during the pandemic. Okay. I can. Uh, my my community, some some of my confers said they would help me with writing the blogs, and so far nobody's helped me. <laughs> I've got I've got about four hundred blogs up up uh, posted over over a period of three of uh, two years. Wow. Well, I mean, I was just gonna say you're just getting started, but four hundred blogs sounds like you've been going for a while. You're not you haven't run yeah. out of things to say. 
Um, all right. Well, then, so then you said you also have a Facebook page, and um, this is how people can kind of hear what's new, what you, what new things you're reflecting on, new experiences that you've had. Is that what you write about in the blog? Yeah, it's it's I I write the new experiences, what's going on, and sometimes I I repost like uh, today's. Uh, article was a repost because I was going to get on this and I, I didn't take take time to write a new article. Uh, sure. but it was a repost from about a year ago, okay. and uh, I've some sometimes I I do that to bring up the, the ones that I've I've used. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is I I, I seem to recall um, and tell me if I'm wrong that you're also writing about um, not just oh let me tell you stories of people I've met or my own personal stories. It's also really about helping people to hone their own skills in ministry and mission yeah. with migrants, right? So that others can yeah. take up that same ministry, correct? One of the things about honing the skills of uh, people who work with migrants, I'd like to say we need to develop a little different attitude of how we receive the migrant in our, our lives. Sure. This picture you have right now is from Allensworth. They were a, a desert community out in, in California, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a very much an abandoned community. And uh, we had a we had a broken down rodeo grounds that became the the place where we taught catechism to the children. They had the mass out in the out in the rodeo ground. The uh, the thing that that uh, uh, I would like to say is yeah. I like to dis- describe uh, uh, first responders, second responders, third responders to people who are migrants. Sure. The first response is the uh, what we see at the border today. And how we, we how people are treated in the shelters, the service centers in Mexican side of the border and on our side, mm-hmm. and that's really the first response to a migrant coming into the country. Uh, I think we we we've been assuming once they get to the into the country, they come to their families, they get their live with their sponsor family, they go to our churches, and we expect them to somehow participate in our churches right when they they first come. Right, and. I call that the third response. There needs to be in between mm-hmm. a manner of, of, of walking with the people who have, have gone through trauma mm-hmm. and are now living in our midst mm-hmm. and and have, have gotten here and we don't know how to engage them in the life of our community or our church or our parish. I think that uh, a lot of our religious education programs are based on stability mm-hmm. and these, these folks have not had stability in their lives for a long time. And one of the things that, one of the worst things we have is the idea of uh, having to go to Mass on Sunday and people say, well, these, these folks don't go to communion. Well, we should be looking at the, the ones who have already gone to communion, they should be going to communion anyway. Hmm. Because when you're living in the trauma that they're living under, there's no obligation to go to Mass when you're living in, in crisis. And the, the crisis situations they're coming from, we need to understand them. Yeah. We need to be much, much more understanding in our catechetical approaches. Yeah. There are a lot of programs, and I see it, the worst offenders, in my opinion, are in our Hispanic communities, mm. where I wish that our communities would pay attention to how what, what the people have been going through. Many of the people are, uh, are coming to our, our parishes and are finding a lot of rules and regulations for receiving the sacraments. Hmm. And Francis was right when he said, we're denying access to the sacrament for children and for people who are poor. The thing is that they are 
they need to be, we need to reach out and understand them. The, I would really want to say to catechists, priests, religious leaders, the poor are, have great faith. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't come, they wouldn't leave their country of origin without great faith. They have hope in a way that none of us could even imagine. Hope in the midst of terrible tragedy. Right. And yet, we end up making them jump through hoops and jump through and, and make, and we need to um, write, uh, or, or fix our programs to receive them graciously yeah. and lovingly. Uh, one, one man told me one day at a, at a baptism for a, a baby, he says, Father, the rules and regulations of the church are worse than the rules of immigration. Mm. He said, it's harder to get, it's, it's harder for us to get, our child baptized than it is to get into the country. We should not be compared by a, a migrant with with the government uh, problems of dealing with immigrants. Yeah, uh, that's that was a horrible comment, but it was was a, it was a comment that was true. It was an eye opener. Yeah. Now we yeah. only have uh, one last minute left with you, Father Mike. Okay. The time just flies, but I wanted you just to say so the the person listening right now, what's the next thing that they could do? Um, to love their neighbor, to love their their migrant neighbors. Give us a quick last soundbite, please. Well, next time you see someone of, uh, uh, who's working on your roof or your car or your your house, uh, you know, say thank you to them. Say gracias. Uh, say say to them uh, your gratitude. We need to be much more understanding of their their presence. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, saying hello, <laughs> introducing yourself. Wouldn't hurt. Yeah. Get to know people, talk with people, a company. Wonderful. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Father Mike, and for offering your wisdom and compassion for peoples moving in and around the U.S., especially Hispanic Latino communities. Our church is blessed to have a mission leader like you who goes wherever the Spirit may call. And I'll remind folks again of that website, www.padre. M-I-G-R-A-N-T dot O-R-G PadreMigrante.org May you, Father Mike, continue to meet Christ in the lives of every person you encounter in your ministry. And that for our listeners, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. And remember, always be on mission. Join us every Monday through Friday at this time for Catholic Chicago. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.